everybody, and welcome to Attendance Bias. I am Brian Weinstein, and today my guest is Cully Naramore, who is the canning line operator of Treehouse Brewing in Charlton, Massachusetts. And if you are at all into the craft beer scene, you most certainly have heard of Treehouse. Not only do they print fish lyrics on the bottom of their cans, but they've sort of become the darlings of the craft beer scene over the past four or five years, in my opinion, deservingly so. When I started to brainstorm guests for this podcast, I knew that I wanted to speak to someone at Treehouse. There was obviously someone there who got it. Through some friends and from a local brewery on Long Island, I got in touch with Cully, and there's nothing better than meshing my two loves, beer and fish. Cully chose to talk about Fish's show on October 27th, 2013 at the Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut. Cully chose this show because it was the night after his first show in Worcester, and having grown up in Connecticut, it was a hometown show with all of his friends. Craft Beer, Wingsuit, and the Echoplex, let's join in with Cully Naramore of Treehouse Brewing to talk about October 27th, 2013 at the Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut. Cully, thanks so much for being here on Attendance Bias. How are you today? Not bad, Brian. How you doing, brother? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. We have a lot to talk about today. We have the show, of course, October 27th, 2013 at the Hartford Civic Center. I'm going to forget the XL Center. Yeah, it's always the Civic Center. Yeah, it's always the Civic Center. So we have that show to talk about. We have your background as the canning line operator at Treehouse Brewing. And also we have to talk about fish in 2013. As I looked it over, I just remember the shows that I saw in 2013, but looking over and writing out a summary of it, there was a hell of a lot going on back then. It really was. And, you know, I mean, 2013 was when I first started seeing the band. So, uh, you know, listening to a lot of the shows retrospectively, uh, 2013 in the fall, uh, it really holds up. A lot of the shows to that whole run were fantastic. Before we get to the fall of 2013, let's go back uh, generations, I would guess, to talk about you. And let's start off from the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Cheshire, Connecticut. Was born and lived in Virginia, Northern Virginia, right outside D.C. actually, uh, until I was seven. But I've lived pretty much my whole entire life in Connecticut. Where did fish first enter your life living and growing up in Connecticut? Fish first came into my life when I picked my buddy up uh, from a show in 2009 at the Meadows. And I was selectively listening to fish back then, but really started to gain a little traction uh, in the 2010-2011 years. And I I was streaming a couple shows and uh, I had a couple friends that were really into fish and would always give me as much as I could. Yeah, I love that show that you brought up, the 2009 Hartford show. That's one of my favorites ever. At the time, it was one of the best shows I had ever attended. I think the date is August 14th. And have you ever listened back to that show where you went to go pick up your friends? I have, yeah. Once, I probably once or twice, yeah. Yeah, it's a hell of a show. For those of you listening, check out August 14th, 2009 at the Meadows Music Center. I think it was the Comcast Center at the time was its yeah. name. Um, it was really when Fish brought back the Gamehenge side of things. Uh, and that's all I'll say about that. Hartford was the first time I 
traveled outside of New York to see fish. It was a big adventure for me, my friends and I. This was December 12th, 1999. We just got our licenses. In New York, you have to be 17 to get your license. A bunch of us had just turned 17, like within a couple months. And of course, we didn't own our own cars. And, Mm. you know, we could just barely drive on the local parkways, let alone from (laughs) Long Island to Hartford. All the way to Hartford. Yeah, right. All All that land out there. And so we took an Amtrak from Penn Station, New York to Hartford. And we went, two of us, there were four of us, two of us went to the hotel to check in and put our names down. The other two of us went to the Civic Center. And we all ended up there, thank God, and found each other. And that was a weird, weird show. The first set was a little uneven, but the second set they opened with like a 32 minute drowned. Yeah, and in ninety nine, listen to that. I'll yeah, go listen to that. December twelfth, ninety nine. They open with heavy things, and the vibe in there was crazy because the night before, December eleventh, ninety nine, is a legendary show from Philadelphia. Oh yeah, the Centrum, right? The Spectrum. The Spectrum. Yeah, so we got we got kind of like the the embers of that show in Hartford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's get to how your other love and your career, really, your vocation entered your life. Let's talk about beer a little bit. Let's talk about some beer. You are the canning line operator at Treehouse Brewing, which is a brewery that I would say is on the up and up, but I think it's been firmly established as having a great reputation for, at least in my peripheral, I would say at least four or five years at this point, right? Definitely. I think uh, we're in our just entering our eighth year of operation. Mm -hmm. I'd probably say since about 2015, it's really taken a foothold and become a uh, one of the top breweries in the area, if not if not the country for sure. Yeah. I mean, when you hear someone say, oh, I got some treehouse beers, they don't even need to say which beers they are. No, no. You're just like, all right, I'll take one if you. Yeah. Like every beer, I don't even want to say beer nerd. I'll say beer appreciator. <laughs> In the room, their eyebrows Definitely. will raise and their and the ends of their mouths will smile. You know, it's Treehouse. Mm-hmm. It has cachet. It has a you know, it has credit behind it. So before you know, we got did to, you tre- know, did you actually before? I sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead. Uh, did you know cachet is actually one of our beers? I did not know that. Yeah, it is actually. So that was a nice little. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a, a subconscious plug for a tree. Which uh, nice. what kind of beer is it? What style? It's uh, it is uh, a double IPA. Mm-hmm. No surprise. I uh, honestly <laughs> couldn't tell you. I think I. I couldn't exactly tell you what hops are in there, but I feel like there's some cashmere hops in there. Um, but I could be completely wrong. There's a lot to a lot to take in there. <laughs> Sounds good to me. So how did you get to Treehouse? One of my ex-coworkers that I used to work with had uh, been working at Treehouse. And I said, hey, I was like, you guys, you know, looking for any help at at all? And uh, said, not now, but in a couple months, like, we're definitely looking for some people. I said, put my name at the top of the list. And uh, December, December of that year, which was December 2017, I uh, I was uh, an employee at Treehouse uh, on the packaging team. Was there one beer that changed your mind about what beer could be? Or it went from, you know, just having 
a high life or a PBR, which is, you know, something refreshing to get you fucked up to, no, this is a craft beverage. Yeah, no, there's definitely one beer. And like, even starting out, like when I finally got uh, away from the light crappy beer that we would drink in college or Maybe we didn't drink in college, depending on our age. Mm-hmm. Either way, <laughs> um, you know, I would drink the most abrasive craft beer, you know, Stone Arrogant Bastard mm-hmm. Ale or like uh, a Dogfish Minute, a uh, 120 minute IPA. But this family that were the ones that were, you know, uh, big beer lovers, they came back from a camping trip in Vermont and they came back with these silver cans uh 16 ounce cans i i was uh pleased to drink uh heady topper from the alchemist and that that'll was do it one, that, that was one beer that was the one beer that made you know made me see some stars and i was like whoa this is really cool and uh really really good and uh i never looked back and one last question i have for you before we go into fish in 2013 I first became aware of Treehouse when I saw pictures posted on, I think it was Fantasy Tour, but also a smaller fish forum that I like to post on. Pictures of Treehouse cans, the bottom of them, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, that had fish lyrics or just sayings printed on the bottom, like, this is what space smells like, or I don't want a goldfish, just the words, slow llama. As the canning line operator i have to ask was it your idea to print those phrases on the bottom of the cans it was definitely uh my idea uh to really start doing more of it originally uh you know we use julius lyrics on the bottom of julius cans um and julius is your flagship beer right it is our flagship ipa okay Um, and we had we had uh printed some on there before I, before I had even worked there. And a lot of people think that Julius is a fish inspired beer. Uh, however, I, I mean, I hate to hate to break the news to everybody. Unfortunately, it is, uh, it is not a fish. Related uh, beer. Never meet your heroes. I, You'll be disappointed. I, try, I just try <laughs> and make sure that, you know, it's somewhat connected to fish, but it is in reference to Julius Caesar. Well, so is the song Julius. So, yeah. So technically, I I think we could work that one in. You could thread that needle. Sure. Yeah. No, I'll I'll start. I'll start splitting hairs and I'll call it a fish. (laughs) So as we make our way toward October 27th, 2013 at the Hartford Civic Center, let's just take a look back at fish in 2013 and I always do this in every show. I kind of do a zoom out and I just look at either the year or the tour or what was going on in Fishland at the time. And I started summarizing 2013 and it turns out I ended up on like two pages long of this summary. I don't remember so much was happening, but I'm just going to go through this and please chime in with any thoughts, any memories, anything that comes to you. All right. Definitely. Fish played 41 shows in 2013, which Started with a summer tour that went from Maine to Hollywood, ending in Dick's. They played a shorter fall tour that this show is a part of that is still hailed as one of the best of 3.0. And they closed it with the traditional four-show holiday run at MSG. And some of the more notable shows and events of 2013 
there was a wind and rain soaked show at Jones Beach in July that I remember. And if you talk to anyone who was there, before they mention anything about the music, they'll talk about the rain and the wind and how cold it was. Oh, it was. I, I've seen a couple of shows in the rain, and unless it's 90 degrees out, it's not fun. Have you ever been to Jones Beach? It's kind of like an exposed venue and it's on mm-hmm. the water. So on a cold night with wind and rain, wind it's whipping through it. Yeah, no. it's tough to take in. So there was that show, which I think was July 12th of 2013. A few days later, or a week later, I think, there was a three-show run at Northerly Island in Chicago that was kind of mangled by the weather. This was very dramatic. They forced one night to be canceled, the weather did. Night two then became a three-set show to make up for night one. And then night three had a, what I would generously call an uneven harpua with (laughs) Second City Comedy Troupe. It is very awkward to listen to. Kids these days would call it cringy. And (laughs) it's, yeah, it's like widely regarded as not a very good harpua. And then a week later, they played the Tahoe Tweezer in 2013. And then at the end of the tour, the Dick's run featured the show that had most shows spell something in the set list. Right, right. And I left out a lot of that summer tour. Those are just kind of the notable points. And then we get to fall where some that I'll mention are uh, the Hampton Coliseum had a tour opening three-night run with incredible jams there. That's heavily featured on the Just Jams playlist. They returned to Glens Falls Civic Center for the first time since 1994. There was a show at Reading, PA, Santander Arena, which is a very, very highly regarded show. It has what I think is easily the best 20 years later ever played. Check that one out. The Halloween run was in Atlantic City. It featured the divisive wingsuit set that year on Halloween and then two killer shows the nights after. The wingsuit set, I know it didn't get rave reviews, but uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it for sure. It was weird. I could do a whole podcast just on that show. It was a strange, strange vibe in the room. And it certainly, its stature has grown since because I think that without wingsuit, they couldn't do the haunted house, which means they couldn't do Casalot Vax. Like it got them comfortable with playing all new music in one place, but it was also kind of tough when everyone was expecting like eat a peach to be played. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, when a band plays, Oh, here's our new song. And everyone gets a beer and goes to the bathroom (laughs) for 80 minutes. So that was, it was a lot to take in. And and it's interesting because like you think about that set and you have Fuego and you have Wombat and Wingsuit. I think those are three songs that are fantastic and Wombat doesn't get nearly enough play. I agree. Um, and Fuego, I still think, is one of the better jam vehicles of 3.0, especially to come out of a, a, a studio setting for sure. Definitely. And... There's a lot more to it. I think 555 was played also that night. Oh, yeah. Right? So, I love a good 555. Yeah. There was, like I said, in retrospect, it was really great. But I think around this time was kind of the, you could describe it as either a peak or a nadir of fan criticism and online back and forth, like this hyper criticism that Definitely. Fish fans are 
terrible for that, you know, everything needs to be exactly how we want it, which was kind of what the Harpool was about in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of a way to get fans all riled up. And then they just absolutely slayed it the next two nights. November 1st had it, which is my favorite jam ever. I think the twist was, I think, open set two that night. And then an amazing Makasupa policeman on the second. So it ended with a lot of drama, the fall tour did. Mm -hmm. And the Halloween run was great too. You know, the 29th and the 30th especially. And New Year's Eve had the magical Jemp truck set. I thought that's, you know, I use that word magical. And a lot of Fish fans, when they talk about Fish, they throw that word in there. I really felt like we were witnessing in real time. I thought we were witnessing like a time machine. Definitely. No. I mean, with obviously with the truck, and then I mean, you know, Paige is sitting on milk crates. They have the hockey stick, uh, hockey stick microphones, which hit home for me because I'm a hockey guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was that was something something really really cool. Just a few other little dots about 2013. Uh, the Tahoe Tweezer was the first woo from the audience. Oof. Yeah, I feel the same way about the woos. And it caused so much judgment and arguing among the fan base. It got to the point where, you know, at Halloween where they have a fish bill, like the program for the night. Yes. They have, they always have fake ads in them too. And in one of them for 2013, the wingsuit, there was an ad for an anti woo patch. (laughs) You can put it on your arm and it'll stop you from wooing. I need a couple of those. Yeah. I think a lot of people do, but the issue with that, that was Trey loves it so much. He does. There was a time, I can't remember what song it was. It might have been during Down With Disease or Tweezer from that run, where they had this great stop-start jamming, and the woos started, that Trey screamed, Take off your patches! Did you take yours off? No. no. No, my woo patch is still on. Yeah. There's no shows this year, and I am not. <laughs> it's staying in place. It's like when people keep their parking stickers from the festivals or their, their wrist bracelets. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not coming off. And to wrap up this section, I'm just curious, what led you to this show? Because you said you heard them before this. You mentioned 2010 and 2011, I think, mm-hmm. a little bit ago. What was the uh, the trigger to get you to go to a show, especially this one at the Hartford Civic Center? Well, you know, I'd streamed a couple shows uh, prior in prior years. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Bonnaroo and the Dick's Fuck Your Face show, I definitely remember. I, I love that show so much, especially that, that, I mean, the whole first set, the whole show. Who am I kidding? Mm-hmm. It's just so good, um, especially that Carini. I could listen to that on repeat. Um, but, you know, I saw my first show the night before the show I chose. Um, and I was a deer in the headlights that night. Uh, still remember just about everything I possibly can. Um, but uh, I went to this Hartford show with uh, a couple of my close friends. And they had already seen Fish once or twice. And I was like, all right, I'm with my boys. This is going to be a great night. And 
it still is uh, obviously one of my most listened to shows. And uh, it was just an all around awesome show. And I think just an awesome show and a part of an awesome run for sure. Is there a specific reason you picked this show for attendance bias? Like why not your first show, for example? Mostly because it was, it was on top of it being a a string of my first shows. Like it was just, you know, I'm seeing fish and my, you know, might as well be hometown venue uh, that isn't the Meadows, but uh, it was just, you know, it was awesome to be able to see a show uh, in Connecticut and, and it being my second show. And I just, I just loved the show top to bottom. All right. So let's get into it. So starting with set one, Fish opens with rock and roll, which is an obvious tribute to Lou Reed who died earlier that day. And I remember where I was. I was at a sports bar. I was watching football with my friends. It was a Sunday morning or early afternoon. And I saw it online or on Twitter. And one of my first thoughts was, Fish has a show tonight. They have to do something for Lou Reed. So when they came on and opened with rock and roll, you could hear it in the crowd in the recording that's on Fish.in. It's just a massive cheer. And it's a really tight version. It's a very energetic version, a little faster than usual. And Paige has a little bit more energy and a little bit more excitement in his vocals and passion. And so I wanted to ask you, what was the vibe like in the arena when they opened with rock and roll? Well, the the buzz was going around as as you just uh, alluded to. Everyone, you know, pretty much knew about it except for me. Um, I knew Lou Reed had passed away, but I didn't know that uh, – I didn't know any many of his songs. So uh when rock and roll started up, it, it it just took the house down. Everyone was all amped up and it was just energy from there on out for sure. And after that, at the end, the crowd chants for Lou, Lou Reed. They do the big Lou chants. Mm-hmm. And even before that though, there was a weird outro at nine minutes that I haven't heard before or since. Um I don't know if you listened to the show recently. But there's like a tray just kind of like goes to a different key and a different chord progression. It's almost like he's sending a message to the other guys that he's ready to end the song. So after yeah. he's done with that, they come back, they end it. And then he asks for a moment of silence in his words for one of the greatest artists who ever lived. And then I had to giggle because the crowd cheers like crazy during the moment of silence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone was, everyone was so pumped because it was such a, a, a ripping opener, you know, Sometimes uh, I even heard a couple of shushes in there because fish fans needs to shush uh, every once in a while, um, even though we're not stuck in '93. But uh, <laughs> it uh, it was uh, it was just an awesome awesome tribute for sure. 
Ocelot is next. And to me, when I was listening, that kind of felt like the more, all right, now let's settle in. You know, like now it's time to, for the show to really get moving. And Ocelot is languid as usual. That's just how it is as a song. It's a good settling in song and it ends with a really strong ending. And that's just, like you said, just a really settle down kind of song, but really just got everyone. I mean, it certainly got me moving. Uh, I, I love a nice ocelot just when it gets nice and spacey and everything like that. Uh, it, 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 it really hits the right gears. And after ocelot, they go to tube, which is one of my favorite songs. I saw tube at my first show. And so like for sentimental reasons, I'm always looking to hear it, you know, even if it's four minutes or if it's 15 minutes, doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me. And we are still in the part of 3.0 where Tube wasn't jammed. And I think lately, like in 20, starting with the Baker's Dozen, really, they've started stretching it out a little bit more. But in this one, they're done with the lyrics or like the song part, I guess, after 50 seconds, 5-0. And it's still so tight and funky, even with a key change a little bit past a minute. So they pack a lot into this little package. And and this is, uh, you just mentioned the Baker's Dozen uh, tube. That was the first night I was on the floor at MSG. I love that tube very much. But this one, I, I still think just takes the cake, even though I love the jammed out tube. Uh, I just, there's a good section in there of about 15 seconds where Trey's on the wah and Mike is just hammering his bass and, and, and Paige is over there just, tickling that clav like it's his absolute job and it's i wish it could i wish that could have been you know 10 minutes instead of 15 seconds but um yeah i I do enjoy a non-jammed out tube as well i talk about fish all the time not just in my regular life but also for this podcast and whenever i think about tube i gotta find different adjectives to describe it because I don't want to become too repetitive. But whenever I hear Paige's clavinet on tube, I think the word sticky always comes to mind. Like it really does feel like he's just kind of gluing everything together. Definitely. Definitely. And he's always turned up too. I love it. Yeah. When he, I just, anytime Paige gets on the clavinet, I just absolutely, it's probably an awesome, an awesome part of the song when he's on the clavinet. And then watch out when he stands up. That means, you know, he's really means business with standing up Paige. When Paige stands up, we get down. That's right. And so speaking of Paige, next up is Halfway to the Moon, uh, which is Paige's solo song. And This song, I looked it up a little bit. This song was on its way up in 2013. So it was played seven times in 2013 and then 12 times in 2014. So they were really digging deep into it and they don't play it that often anymore. It's, I don't know about a rarity, but it's not nearly as common as it once was. And when I was listening, I thought, you know, between Ocelot and Halfway to the Moon, it's kind of like a exciting beginning with rock and roll, then chill back with Ocelot funky excitement with tube and then chill back with halfway to the moon. Mm -hmm. So what was the vibe like there? Do you remember, was it kind of like inconsistent or were you just like down to get down? It it was pretty much exactly uh, what you just said. Um, But, and the difference of those songs, it really just, the whole set 
even though there's so many songs in the first set, I mean, so many songs, but you know, more than there were you know, so many more, songs, there were 14 yeah. songs in the first yeah. set. I think it, it, it was a decent amount. And I, I just, I still think that whole entire set flows so well. Um, and it, it was just, I, I think a very well played show. I think it was a well played show. Also, and we'll, I'll get into it later with, with the flow and everything, because I'm curious about that. But before we get to later in the show, we're at Fee right now. And I love Fee. It was only played twice in 2013. Great song. Yeah. And it was played here in Hartford and at Dick's. And Trey got on the megaphone, so you know it's legit. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that every fan ever has a phase where Fee is their favorite song, right? Definitely. Definitely. And I at the end, there's mine. a... I'm sorry, go ahead. I said, oh, I said, I definitely had mine where Fee was a, a favorite of mine for sure. Yeah. And at the end, there's a very cool bass-led jam a little bit after five minutes. And Fee usually has this kind of ambient, airy, piano-driven way out. But this one is all mic, and it's much more directed than a typical Fee jam to the point where it even made the Fish.net jam charts. Did not know it made the jam chart, but uh, it, it's it's a beautiful outro. Uh, and I just remember, I remember specifically from that, uh, Kuroda had the whole place dark, but was only lighting up behind the stage, and it looked like it looked like you know rain coming down uh, uh, down on the backdrop there behind the stage, and he he lit that one perfectly for sure. I love that. And then the next two I thought was like a perfect one-two punch with Maze, which had a perfect transition from Fee with a big jam. And then mm-hmm. Lawn Boy right after that. It's like this perfect speed up and slow down, like be, like get your adrenaline pumping like crazy. And then this almost like Narcan, like bring you back yeah. <laughs> down yeah. to earth with Lawn yeah, Boy. Nice. I thought that was a really fun uh, really fun pairing right in the middle of the set also. Yeah, definitely. Especially when Maze, like, you know, saying how many songs are in that set, like, you know, that Maze is a solid 10 or 11 minutes and it is just full throttle too. And then toward the middle-ish end of the set, there's Nellie Kane, which I wrote good old fish bluegrass. I mean, yeah. something, something that I love about 3.0 is they brought back the bluegrass in 2.0. There wasn't much of it. So now it's like every either couple shows or a few times in three, a stretch, you're going to hear uh, like Ginseng Sullivan or Nellie Kane or yes, something so along right. those lines. And here's what I wrote. It's funny. You said that it flows really well. I wrote this set seems like a string of short songs without a lot of flow or sequence. It's good. Cause a lot of fans like that. I kind of go for the jams, but I, it's, I just love this difference where how I'm walking around my neighborhood listening on headphones and you were there. I guess it, I thought it flowed well because they let us, you know, take a breath. 
uh, mm-hmm. every once in a while. Um, but, you know, I don't mind hearing a lot of songs all packed in. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I live for the second set jams, baby. You know, <laughs> I, I, I live for, I live for an opening, you know, a nice, uh, uh, opening, uh, first set jam too. That's always a treat, but I did think it flowed well, at least, you know, for me, um, you know, tomatoes, tomatoes for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, sure. yeah, that's the fun part of it. That's yep. the best part of it. And after Nellie Kane, there's NICU, which is, again, one of my favorites ever for sentimental reasons. It always sounds fresh. NICU always sounds new. They could have debuted it yesterday or they could have debuted it in like 1992. Mm-hmm. I love NICU. And then a song I heard the ocean sing. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this song in general or even just this performance at the show. So uh, I remember one of the first uh, fish CDs I ever bought for myself from at the CD store back when those were popular uh, was uh, Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn. Uh, Live in Brooklyn. Yep. And uh, that particular, a, a song I heard the ocean sing is, uh, I love the Love it. I mean, I love that whole show, but I do, I do particularly love that jam. Um, but this particular one, I honestly can't tell you if I remember anything from it. <laughs> um, maybe it's because it was uh, seven years ago, or maybe it was because uh, it just wasn't uh, anything exemplary. But uh, it, it was definitely just a, a, a straightforward a song I heard the ocean sing. Certainly, it's not one that I, I will keep on if I'm listening to it. Maybe mm. I, I may give it a skip every once in a while if I'm not just if I'm in if not in the mood, you know. Yeah, gotta be gotta be in a good mood for us. The song I heard the ocean sing. We have different ways of looking at it again because I was at that Brooklyn show and I I've had to like evolve. You know, I like got politicians say they've evolved on the issue. It's like how I feel about a song I heard the ocean sing. Yeah, because when it first came out, I didn't love it for a few reasons. Number one, I didn't love the jamming style in two thousand four. It was very dark and very dissonant, and that just didn't appeal to me. And I didn't want to get attached to songs, new songs, because they were going to be gone in a summer. So I didn't want to get attached to it. So I didn't really give it much mind. But now that I think their sound, their overall sound quality is better in 3.0 and they're pretty focused now. And the clarity of 3.0 has given this song power that I didn't think it previously had. And then they, <laughs> they close with Walls of the Cave. Which how, how can you hate a Walls of the Cave closer for a set? Yeah. For a set. It's funny you said that, too, because I did some stat work on Walls of the Cave as well. I was really excited about this because of the 10 or 11 episodes of this that I've done, I think maybe six people have chosen a show with Walls of the Cave. And it's oh, really? always a set one closer. So I was curious. You know, I think that's. I think Walls is like a super – I mean, I wouldn't even say it's a sleeper favorite. Like, but Not anymore. No, not anymore, for sure. I, I, I think it definitely gets shown the love it's, it deserves now. But uh, it, 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 it seemed like, you know, uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't for a while. So the, the stat work that I did, and I agree with you, because I've also had to evolve on Walls of the Cave, because, again, it was, it was a new song in 2003. 
And so I also didn't want to get too attached to it. But anyway, so it was played seven times in that year in 2013, five times as a set closer. So five out of seven. But bigger than that, from that show, from October 27th, 2013 to today, right, the most recent shows, it's been played 34 times. Every single time but once, it's been a set closer. Well, it's got its it's got its territory. Yeah, it certainly does. And the band knows it, which is great. And this one has some great tension and release jamming as well. So how did you feel overall about the first set? I, I definitely, again, being so new uh, at that time, I, I was still on cloud nine. I was just like, I, I don't know what I just saw, but I loved it. <laughs> and uh, I want some more. Um, but, uh, overall I, I still, again, this is like, just if I don't know what show or if I have to think about looking through, you know, live fish or whatever I'm using to listen to shows, I'll just, I'll put this on uh, yeah. the whole, I'll just let the first set go. And, and it's just, then I get to the second set. I'm like, well, all right, we'll keep going. And, uh, end up listening to the whole damn thing again. So let's get there. Let's get to the second set. And it kicks off with Choctaw's Torture, which is a great way to kick off a set, right? Absolutely. I think the, out of the my two out of my first three shows, I got a Choctaw second set opener. So My second set opener is down with disease. It's like every show I see. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I thought it was funny at the end of this chalk dust when they have the coda, you know, where they do the guitar build and Fishman's playing really fast. Mm. Trey is just going off to jamming, but Fishman, if you listen, isn't having any of it. He no, just ends the song. And he's, and, and yeah. The, the ever so rare Fishman ripcord. <laughs> yeah, it was, I never heard it before, but Fishman ripcorded chalk dust when Trey was ready <laughs> to go jam. And then I thought the next one, which was Tweezer, I thought that was like Trey's response back where he's like, fuck you. You can't stop me from jamming this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jam this. And so, and they did. Yeah. This tweezer is fabulous. It is. It truly is a beautiful tweezer. Still, I'd say still, I would almost, I would almost venture to say top three just because it's one of my just personal favorites. Well, yeah, we're on attendance bias, right? It's yeah, whatever absolutely. Yeah, personal yeah, exactly. favorites. <laughs> That's what the whole show is about. They're like in a thick jam immediately. And as I was listening to this in preparation for the podcast, I must have written five times. This is what I hear when I think of 2013 fall tour. Definitely. Definitely. Just immediate, concise, and, and they're all locked in. They're all locked in right from the get-go. Yeah, they're locked in immediately. It's I wrote they're in a thick jam already, and it was only five and a half minutes in. It's like right after the Uncle Ebenezer part. Mm-hmm. It's like they're they turned on the gas right away.
Definitely hit the gas immediately. And, and I, I don't know, I, I remember reading someone's breakdown of musically of major and minor keys and this and that, and I'm not a musically inclined guy by any means in that sort of the sense. But, you know, I just remember seeing like major key jam about, mm-hmm. about this particular tweezer and how it changes major keys. And I don't know, just it's a major jam. That's all I know. It's <laughs> it's just a beautiful, beautiful 17 minutes of music. For sure. I think guys like us remember the lights more than the major keys. Right, <laughs> so, exactly. Like, oh, this part was yellow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know about any of that really. I I throw around like key changes and stuff as if I know, but you know, fake it till you make it, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. And, but I think this was the first time I heard the term bliss jamming on this tour. And this tweezer has it in spades. There's a part like a really powerful progression around 12 minutes where Paige switches to piano. And the, I wrote, this is the sort of music I think when I heard the term bliss jamming. It just makes me feel good. good especially when Paige is hitting the keys like that on the baby grand like it's just it, it really just uh, man tickles your soul it you could be as cheesy as you want with this yeah yeah because and, it's justified <laughs> i i remember uh having that uh in the car riding to and from school and just having a smile on my face you know, not only because I was there, but like I was still getting the goosebumps just from that jam. And Birds of a Feather is like a come down from Tweezer. Yeah, even though even though it's a pretty high rocking song, and if uh, it, it definitely it it cooled everyone down. Yeah, I had the same thought. It's like a really high energy song, and it could be a jam vehicle in its own right. But it was like, all right, a landing pad. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then right then, Golden Age, which you want to talk about flow. I love the flow of this set. Once they started up Golden Age, it's got direction. It's got killer choices. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that was my first time here in Golden Age. And at the first 
the first part once they got out of the uh, out of the song and and started into the jam that was pretty you know type one for, musically for that song. There was a there was a major major like shift in jamming uh, about I mean I want to say it was probably eleven ish minute mark or something like mm-hmm. that. This had something to do with the woos too. I don't know if the woos were before or after what I'm thinking of, but I think it's after. Uh, it, but Fishman just boom, boom, and then literally, I, it took one drum beat for Fishman to drop into what he wanted, and they all just they all heard it and were like, "Oh yeah, like that's what we're talking about." Right? And they just unfortunately, that's just like the tube jam that I was talking about how. There's like 15 seconds that I just wish kept on going forever. was one of them in golden age where i wish that just because that would have just gotten deep dark evil fish written all over it there's a lot of good stuff in this golden age there's a part uh toward the beginning where trey does like a james brown super bad kind of riff and then fishman hears it right away and they do it together and it's just so representative of 2013 that they're listening to each other so hard so hard so so hard After that kind of slows down and peters out, there's Haley's Comet, which is a completely different vibe than Golden Age. Absolutely. And that was like a nice little short, jammy filled uh, Haley's um, that, again, was just, I think, merely a segue, just like Birds was. Um, it was like a palate cleanser. Yes. Or in case anyone needed a bathroom break. Whatever. That's right. <laughs> if, right. No judgment. Right, right. But don't stay in the bathroom too long because then they kick right into 2001, which was oh, a perfect segue right from Haley's. They didn't even pause. Not at all. Not at all. And I remember, so <laughs> there were these two guys. Uh, I was on the, I had an aisle seat and these two dudes were standing in the, in the, uh, uh, on the stairs. And every time a security guard would come around, they asked, they're like, 
can we just scooch into the room? We're like, yeah, of course, no problem. And one of the guys was wearing a Reptar shirt from the show Rugrats, which is uh, <laughs> I'll always, always remember it. But he and his buddy had snuck in a bag of wine uh, somehow. I still don't know how they did it. But the whole entire show, they were chanting uh, and yelling, drop the hammer, drop the hammer. <laughs> the whole entire show, 2001 drops. They just dropped the fucking hammer. And I was just like, all right, these guys, I'm in with these guys. I like this. <laughs> they went home happy. Yes, they certainly did. <laughs> and this is a good 2001. Again, it's not so long, but that doesn't matter because Trey goes right again to the Echoplex around three and a half minutes. And there's this three-step progression. Again, I don't know my musical vocabulary very well. Mike begins it and he it kind of developed over the course of the tour. So if you ever listen to that Halloween run, like not Halloween necessarily, but November 1st and 2nd, you could like hear this progression as it flowered. Like it really built on itself. There's like stop start jamming. Uh, Fishman is on the wood box. It's almost like the Trey is like daring the crowd to woo again with the stop yeah. start. I wish Trey wouldn't do that. I know it makes him happy, but um, but yeah, no. I mean that 2001 was just extremely well jammed. I, I like Gordo had almost like a washy a washy bass sound when they were in like the middle of that jam. I love Fishman on the wood box. Whenever he whenever he hits the wood box, I'm I'm all in on that. Just like whenever he picks up the the Electrolux. Yeah, and if Golden Age and well Tweezer, okay, Golden Age, all right, 2001. It's like all right, you're enough. Like enough. Like I don't I don't mean that like I'm fed up, but it's like you could go home with anything. Like yeah. that's you know that everything else is gravy. But then they play Fluffhead. That fluffhead was great. Yeah, it's a great boost. It's like a five-hour energy drink. Yeah, at the end, closing closing minutes of the second set, here's a five-hour energy. And if that's not enough, they close it with the closer, uh, slave to the traffic light. Just like walls, I think is like one of my favorite set closers. Uh, I'll take a slave set closer anytime, anytime, and I'll absolutely love it. Yeah. You know, last summer I went to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown and at the very end of the hall, after you walk in, there's the first group that was inducted, like Babe Ruth and I think Ty Cobb was in it. I feel like Slave 
would be in that first group of the Fish Song Hall of Fame, like would, first I class? I hope so. I would hope so. And since it was, I think it was written in 1984, maybe 1985, it's one of their first songs, right? It's on the white tape. And yep. it's still so lovely in 2013. And this is seven years ago even. But that's what, I'm very bad at math. So like 30 years later about from when it was written, it's so lovely and it's very relaxed as it usually is, but it still reaches a wonderful peak with still three minutes to go. I mean, you must have been dying there. It was, I, you know, I, again, for it being my second show, like I was just, I was, I was still just like blown away. Like these guys are still going this hard, this fantastic. And this is just, it was, it was finally odd because that was my first, naturally, it was my first lead to the traffic light. Um, and I don't know how many times I've listened to a live one, but, you know, here in, here in Slave, finally, after listening to it for so many times on a live one, uh, it was just like euphoria. I think a lot of us have that connection with versions from a live one, specifically that live album where it's like, those are the versions uh, like Chalk Dust or Harry Hood or Squirming Coil, or in this case, Slave to the Traffic Light, where everything else is kind of, I don't know about measured up against it, but that's the template. Definitely. And we hope that every time we see those songs, it makes you feel like the way a live one did. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the encore is like the ultimate one-two punch of... Loving Cup and Tweezer Reprise. Can't get much better than that one, Two Punch. Yeah. I like that. Like the energy is, must have been ready to explode, the XL Center. Especially, I mean, especially just after just a ripping Loving Cup and the, you just, you know, Twee Prize is coming and the second it comes on, everyone's just, oh boy, because they know it's that, uh, we, we all know when, Usually when Tweezer Reprise comes yeah. on, like, you know, that's it. And we're just, all right, one last shot. Here we go. Um, and uh, it was it was really, really, really awesome. So that's the show. That's the end of it. Overall, just listening to it years later, having never heard it before, I thought it was a very solid show that didn't pack too many surprises in the first set, but offered a lot of fun. And big jams in set two that had – an embarrassment of riches uh, for the set list in set two. So any last thoughts before we close it up on fish on October 27th, 2013, anything we didn't touch on anything you'd like to say? Well, I hope everyone uh, will uh, give this one a, a listen if you haven't before. Other than that, I hope everyone's drinking an all right beer right now. Uh, and uh, thanks for having me on. Golly, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Take care. And there is my interview with Cully Naramore of Treehouse Brewing. Now, our conversation went all over the place, but throughout our conversation, we threw out a lot of facts, figures, and dates, and I had to go back and make sure that they were all accurate. So now it's time for the attendance bias fact check. When talking about shows in Hartford, I mentioned the show from December 12th, 1999 at the Hartford Civic Center. I also mentioned the version of Drowned that opened the second set. I said that it was 32 minutes long, but it turns out I was off by one minute. 
That version of Drowned is 31 minutes and 2 seconds, and there is a link to that in the show notes today. The jam on November 2nd, 2013 in Atlantic City, when Trey told the crowd to take off your patches during a fantastic jam, it was during Piper, not Tweezer or Down With Disease, as I guessed. For this show, October 27th, 2013, I said that there were 14 songs in the first set, but I was wrong about that. There were actually 11 songs. I also said that NICU always sounds fresh to me, no matter when it's played. I said that it could have been written yesterday or 1992. NICU did in fact debut on March 6th, 1992 at the Music Hall in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And Slave to the Traffic Light actually debuted earlier than I thought. I said maybe 1985 or 1986, but it was played at one of the earliest Fish shows on December 1st, 1984 at Nectar's. And that's it for us today on Attendance Bias. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please support the show by rating, reviewing, and sharing it on your podcast provider of choice. I'd like to thank Fish.in, Fish.net, and of course, Colleen Aramore of Treehouse Brewing for being on today's show. And most of all, thank you for listening, and please join me next time on Attendance Bias. Attendance Bias.